1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to continue on in our study, our verse-by-verse study. And today we're really finishing up with the introduction that Paul made to the Corinthian church. And we've been talking about the benefits of every believer, the benefits that belong to every believer in Christ. And you remember that we said, if you've been here for these messages, that really we can sort of walk through these or remember these by thinking of them in the past, in the present, and in the future. The past benefits of the believer, the present benefits of the believer, and then the future benefits that are coming. And we said that in the past we were recipients of grace. That's verse 4. I'm going to read this for you from verse 4, and we'll just walk through this to our text down to verse 8 and 9 this morning. Verse 4, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you. Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. So there's the past benefits of the believer. That that God, though we were his enemies in our sin, though we were by nature children of wrath, he reached out to us in grace and we met Jesus. That's the past benefits of the believer. And then the present benefits in verse 5. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we talked about the present benefits of the believer being that we're gifted by Christ, uniquely gifted, all of us gifted, to serve the church, to serve Christ, to serve the body. We're not lacking anything. So in the present, you are gifted by Jesus for service. And then we get to verse 8 and verse 9, where we talk about the future benefits of the believer. He says, who will sustain you to the end. You'll be sustained to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The future benefits of the believer. Uh, I want to ask you to hold on this morning because really we're going to swim in the deep end of the pool this morning. In fact, I think, honestly, I, I really believe that this is going to take us three weeks to deal with what we need to deal with here in this text, this idea of being sustained till the end. So get your pens ready, get ready to take notes, no cheat sheets, no PowerPoints this morning. You're just going to have to keep up the old-fashioned way and, and take notes. I want to begin by telling you a story about a phone call I received years ago when I was living in Southern Maryland. I, I got a call about a certain man that lived in my community, and this man was, was infamous in our community. He, everybody, I think, knew him or knew of him, or maybe even they didn't know him by name. They knew who he was when they saw him because he was just one of those guys who lived in a way that nobody could ignore. And nothing about the way he lived could be characterized as good. I really mean this. and I, 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 don't, I hope you don't hear me beating up on somebody this morning, but I'm just trying to give you an honest representation of this man. His, his wife was a member of my church and she endured all kinds of hardships at his hands. She eventually moved to a location that she wouldn't even tell me across the river into Virginia. She wouldn't tell any of us in order to be safe from this man who was her husband. She moved into a place where after uh, enduring years of abuse, I used to see this man. The only time I would see him on a regular basis was if I would go to the one store that was in the, the, the town that we lived in. And that store was a convenience store slash food store slash deli slash bar. 
and he would be sitting at the bar almost any time that I went in there, causing a stir, acting a fool. I mean, there was just nothing about this guy that I could point to and say, this was a good guy. And I got a call one day. I was actually up here doing some things, visiting some family, and I got a call. And the call said that this man had committed suicide that morning. That he had shot himself and his daughter had found him at the house. So I went back and the next day I went and I met with his family. His wife had come back and, and I was talking to them. And as we were preparing that week for the funeral, which was a very difficult thing to prepare for, I began to ask them, just share, share with me some things that I can share about him. Some things that would be good. Some things that we would want to share at a time like this. And to my shock, his wife, of all people, said, well, you can tell people that when he was a boy at your church, he went forward one day, accepted Jesus, and he was baptized. And she said, so if, any, if there's nothing else that we can say about him, at least we can say that he was saved. Now, I hope you're struggling with that as much as I did in the moment. And I don't mean that to be funny. But just think about what what she was saying. She was saying, this guy who lived his life in every way possible, and that's not an exaggeration, this man who lived in, in a way that was as far removed from the gospel and from Jesus Christ and from the influence of the church or for anything good in his life, this guy, when it came to the end, when he was dead and gone, his family wanted me to know just one thing about him, that they believed he was saved. And there's no doubt in my mind that the reason she said that to me is because she had grown up and come up in a tradition, the same tradition that I came up in, where we were taught that once you're saved, you're always saved. Now, how many of you were taught that as a kid? Or coming up, once saved, we say it all the time, right? Once saved, always saved. I was taught that. In fact, uh, there's not a, a lot of things that I can point to that I was taught doctrinally as a young person, but that's one of them, that I was taught the doctrine of eternal security. I was taught growing up, and I understood growing up, that once a person made a decision to accept Christ in their life, that once they were saved, that person was always saved, and that there's nothing that that person could do to unsave themselves. Now, I want you just to kind of hold on to that story. We're going to come back to the story of that man in a little bit. But I want to deal with right now the question, and really, probably in the next several weeks, I want to deal with the question, is it true that once you're saved, you're always saved? Is it true that if you've really been saved, then you can never actually lose your salvation? And just... In case any of you are loading up to throw tomatoes books or chairs at me right now, I just want you to know that I believe, and I believe that we're going to see, and I believe that we're going to come to understand through through the Bible and the authority of the Scriptures, I believe the answer is yes, that if you're truly saved, you can't be unsaved. If you're truly saved, you will not lose your salvation. I believe that's true, and, and this is one of the greatest benefits of being a believer. 
This is one of the, the benefits of being a believer that really should make our hearts sing this idea that if we've come to faith in Christ, that we know that there's no way that we'll lose our salvation. There's no way that we can be separated from Christ. And this passage that we just read, verse 8 and 9, is one of the places where I think we get it clearly. Look at it again. He says, who will sustain you to the end? You'll be sustained to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You should, if you mark your Bible, that's, that's a great one to underline or highlight. But God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I think this passage is clear. I think this passage is easy to understand. And I think this passage is clearly teaching us that God will sustain every believer to the end. That it's God's work. And, they, and I think we could build a really simple case for the idea that once I'm saved, I'm always saved, just by asking some questions about this passage. For instance, ask this question, what is it that we're sustained in? And Paul says you'll be sustained to the end. What are you sustained in? Well, if you walked back through the passage backwards, and we're not going to spend a lot of time doing this because i got a lot to get to, but, but what have we already seen that when Paul writes to these people, how does he write to them? What's his assumption about them? He's assuming that they're saved, right? He calls them the church. He says that they're sanctified in Christ Jesus. He says that they're called to be saints. He says that they call on Jesus as Lord. In verse 6, he says the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So he's talking to people who are saved people, who are people who know Jesus Christ as their Lord. And so from the very beginning, we could say that we're sustained in our salvation. That's what he's talking about. here. You'll be sustained in your salvation. Well, how long will you be sustained? This is an easy open book quiz. How long will you be sustained? To the end. You'll be sustained to the end. Now what does that mean? To the end. Well, it's pretty simple. It just means to the end. It just means to the end of your life. It means to the day that this life is over. Whether that's your natural life. Or whether that's the time when Christ returns in glory. One way or another, your life is coming to an end. You know that every single one of us is moving towards our end in one way or another. And he says that if you're in Christ, you will be sustained until the end. Well, here's another question. What will happen to us or how will we be presented when the end comes? Again, this is an open book. So you'll be sustained to the end and how? How will you be presented? Guiltless. This is good news. I mean, think of this. Guiltless, you're presented guiltless. When this life is over, you and I in Christ will stand before God. And in God's economy, this is the glory of the gospel, we will be presented guiltless before the Father because of the righteousness of Jesus. Don't miss this. You'll never enter heaven because of your righteousness. You'll enter because of Jesus' righteousness. It's His righteousness that's credited to our account so that when we stand before the Father, He sees the righteousness of the Son, and we're guiltless. That's such good news. Romans 8.1, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Apply that to your life. When you look in the mirror and you think, I'm a spiritual failure. I want you to remember that God is faithful. He gave up His own Son for you, and there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And you could also ask this question. Well, what's the guarantee that we'll be sustained to the end? 
Again, open book, quiz, verse 9. What's the guarantee? God is faithful. God is faithful. Our guarantee that will be sustained to the end is the faithfulness of God. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We are not sustained to the end because of our faithfulness. Did you hear that? Like you won't get there because you're so faithful that you're going to get there based on what you've done. We know that's not what the Bible teaches. We get there because God is faithful. And it's important for us to understand before we go any further, you have to understand that if you're going to understand the the idea that once I'm saved, I can't be lost. If you're going to understand that, then you need to understand that your salvation from beginning to the very end is all wrapped up and totally dependent on God, not you. Y'all still with me? I mean, really, there's a lot. I'm just going to feed you a lot today. But listen, your salvation, you'll never be able to grasp the idea of the perseverance of the saints, the preservation of the saints, the doctrine of eternal security, whatever you want to call it. That will never make sense to you unless you understand first that your salvation from beginning to end is totally dependent on God. Let me give you some scripture passages. If you're jotting down notes, first of all, we are saved In the first place, we are saved by grace. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you've been saved through faith. You've been saved by grace through faith. And then Paul makes it clear, And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. So you've been saved by grace through faith. And even this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God so that no man can boast. So where did it begin? began with God and Him extending grace to us. And then the Bible teaches us also in other places, but primarily in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. And jot this down because this is one of the most important passages in the entire Bible. I'm not overstating this. This is one of the most important passages in the entire Bible. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We're saved by God, by His grace, and then we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed. So there we have the moment that we believe. And then he says, Then you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. And if you've ever struggled with the idea that God guarantees our salvation, I want you to pay special attention now to, the, to these verses. He says that, that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. And the ESV says it that way. The ESV says the Holy Spirit is the guarantee. Here's an instance where I really prefer the old King James Version. Where, where it says that you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14, the old King James says, which is the earnest of our inheritance. The earnest of our inheritance. That's a strange language, isn't it? You know what that means? I mean, it sounds strange. He's the earnest of our inheritance, but it's actually language that we still use today. That's what makes it so cool. 
This is not foreign to us. This, this, this word, and it means something important to us. How many of you are familiar with the idea of earnest money? Some of you have bought houses before and understand what earnest money is or, or an earnest money contract. And basically, you enter into an earnest money contract when you as the buyer have agreed to purchase something. And at the time you sign the contract, you put up some earnest money. And that earnest money is there. It's sort of a down payment, but also a little bit different because you give the earnest money to demonstrate your commitment to fulfill your promise that you signed on the contract. That's what earnest money is. And the interesting thing about earnest money is that if you as the buyer decide at some point after you've signed the contract to then renege on your decision and back up out of the contract, you lose your earnest money. So what's being said here, understand it. The KJV got it right. What's being said here is that God, when He purchased you at the cross, then sealed it by making the Holy Spirit the earnest money. He's the earnest money that guarantees that God will finish the work He started in you in the gospel. And so just understand this. Take it a step further. That's good enough. But take it a step further because the idea here really is that if then God would back out of this thing somehow, so you've been saved, but then you get unsaved, then God would have to forfeit the Holy Spirit, which would make Him no longer God. So the guarantee that you and I are saved forever once we're saved is the fact that God has placed His own person and character down as the earnest money for your salvation. He can't go back on it. I mean, that should be all we really need to know. In order for God to give you up, He'd have to stop being God. And that's never going to happen. So the Holy Spirit, He's our earnest money, the down payment on your salvation. So follow me, we're still in that thought that salvation begins and is totally dependent on God. It began with God. By grace you've been saved. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. He's the earnest money on that contract. And then we're told that we will one day be glorified by God, Romans 8.30, and those whom He predestined, He also called, and those who He called, He also justified, and those He justified, He also glorified. From beginning to end, your salvation is totally dependent on God. Not you, and that's super good news. Super good news. And if that weren't enough, let me give you another scripture passage. The double-fisted promise of Jesus in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 27 through 30. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Now just think of that for a second. John 3, 16. Whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but what? But have everlasting life. Will have eternal life. Well, what does that even mean? If you believe you're granted eternal life and you lose it, did you have eternal life? Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And my Father who has given me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The double-fisted promise 
If you belong to Jesus, you are being held onto by him and the Father, guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. You can't get away. So this is the future benefit of the believer. I mean, listen to it. Listen to it. We're sustained in our salvation until the end of this life when we'll be presented guiltless before God because of his own faithfulness. God is faithful and we know we're saved by his grace, sealed by his spirit, promised to be glorified. It's all wrapped up in him. And we're reminded that if we belong to Jesus, Jesus said that we can't not belong to him anymore. If we belong to him, we're held in his hand. We can't get away. So thank God for our salvation and thank God for his sustaining work. It's his work. Now, some of you, are you bored? Some of you look bored. I mean, this, this really, like this, this is one of the most important things that you can ever know as a follower of Jesus. I mean, these are the kind of things, people say, well, why? These are the kind of things that, that make Christians sing songs. I mean, you know what I mean by that? You know what I, like, you know, my, my four-year-old son, he's almost four, next week will be four. He gets excited. He sings songs now. I won't tell you what he sings because some of the things he sings are not appropriate. But when he gets excited, he sings songs. And it's like, these are the things that ought to lift our hearts to the place where we sing, where we worship, where we fall down to understand that I, as a sinner, a child, by nature, a child of wrath, God has sovereignly reached out of heaven, raised me up in Christ, sealed me in the Holy Spirit, and promised to sustain me until this life's over. It's all His work. But somebody will be saying, I mean, I think somebody right now is thinking this because of the way you're looking at me. I'm trying to make eye contact with you because then you'll know I'm talking about you. (laughs) But I think that somebody is thinking, Pastor, I'm not convinced. Because I've known so many people who seem to have lost their salvation. Like, I've known so many people who seem to be Christians. Haven't you known these people? I mean, I have. I mean, I think of people in my own family who at one time seemed to be walking so close with Christ, who had a dedication to Christ and to the things of our faith that made me want to follow their example. And I think of some of these people, and now I think of them, and I know that they have completely turned their back on their faith. I think, how can that be? I mean, how many of you have known somebody who, who seemed to, to truly, without a doubt, they were bearing fruit, and they seemed to be following Jesus, but at some point in their life, they either turned their back, or they fell into sin, or they drifted far enough away that they'd forgotten all about it, and it just seems like there's no other explanation than they must have been saved, and now they're not. So did they lose their salvation? Well, the answer is No. But just hang with me. Because the Bible does give an answer for this exact thing. This exact thing. The sec- or 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. John addresses this very thing. 
He says, they went out from us. These people, they went out from us. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be plain that they are not of us. The idea being that if someone turns their back on their faith, walks away from their faith, it wasn't because they've lost something they had. It was because they never had something they thought they had. To quote one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, he said, if you have true saving faith, you will never lose it. But if you lose your faith, understand you never really had it. Now think back to the man at the beginning of my message. Because I seem to be making the case that he must have been saved because he was always saved. One of those things. I mean, there are three options with this guy. He's living a vile life. He's living a life that's antithetical to everything in the gospel, to everything about following Jesus. But yet he's made a confession of faith at some point in his life. He's followed Christ in baptism at some point in his life. So what's the deal with this guy? Well, there's three options. Option number one is the option that his wife seemed to believe, which was that he made a confession of faith in Christ, that he seemed to follow Christ for a little while, but then he backslid. Remember that? He backslid. He backslid for his entire life. But yet, because he had made that one confession of faith, in spite of himself, And the fruit that he was bearing, in spite of all of that, he must have been saved because once you're saved, you're always saved. That's option number one. Option number two is that he made a confession of faith in Christ, followed Christ in baptism, demonstrated at least for part of his life that he was following Christ, but then began to drift away from Christ, drift away from Christ, and eventually he drifted far away enough that he lost his salvation. That's option number two. Or option number three, which is the biblical option. This is the possibility that can, we can bear out in Scripture. Is that he made a confession of faith in Christ. Followed Christ in baptism and for some point in his life seemed to be bearing fruit. But then he drifted away. He did not persevere. And he confirmed in the end that he was never saved at all. He didn't lose his salvation. He just never had it to begin with. This should terrify us. I mean, it really should send chills up our spine to think that it's possible to believe that I'm okay spiritually, only to find out that I'm not. And Jesus himself said that this is going to happen. And it's not going to be a rare case. Because he said, there will be many who come to me. And they say, Lord, Lord. We've done miracles. We've healed. We've raised the dead. We've done all these things. And Jesus will turn to them and say in that day, what? Depart from me. I never knew you you workers of iniquity. 
And this is why I said this is going to take several weeks, because next week I, I can't preach a sermon like this and then not come back next week and preach a sermon about assurance. Like, how, like we need to know, right? Like, how, like next week I want to know how can I know for sure that I'm saved. So if today you're feeling a little bit shaky, scared, and spiritually shook up, just know next week there is a way that we can know for sure. There is a way that we can know for sure, but, but this week I just want to close with this thought, and this is a practical thought, and I want to give it to you because this is one of the things I just heard recently from John MacArthur, who's a great teacher of the Bible, and he said this, and it struck me like a ton of bricks when he said, if, listen to what I'm about to say, and you should write this down if you're a note taker, if you could lose your salvation, you would lose your salvation. Just think of that. That's so true. And think of the flip side of that. Think about this idea that I could believe that I could lose my salvation. Like we have some friends in different contexts, Nick and I both, who we've had this discussion with before. Do you believe you can lose your salvation? And these are other pastors that say, yes, I believe that you can. There's warning passages in the New Testament that we'll deal with. We'll deal with these. But yes, I think you can do it. But just think about what you're saying if you say, I can lose my salvation, but I haven't. I mean, that's the most prideful thing I've ever heard. I can lose my salvation, and some people do, but not me. Think of that. I mean, just think of what you're really saying when you say, I think I could lose my salvation, but I haven't. But I've known some people who have. I mean, if you could do it, if you you could lose it, you would. If I could lose my salvation, I'm absolutely 100% confident that I would. Like I would find a way. I'm telling you, I would find a way to lose my salvation if it were possible. I would happily take myself to hell if it were possible. And I don't mean that to be funny. I really believe that's true. Like If it was possible, I would run my race right into the pit of hell. But it's only by the grace of God that I don't. It's not up to me. Thank God it's not up to me. Remember your benefits package. I'm going to wrap up. We're just going to continue next week. Remember your benefits package as a believer. Past. Recipients of grace. Present. Gifted for service. Future. I'm sustained to the end, guiltless in Christ Jesus. God is faithful. But just in case there's any doubt, turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. I'm just going to read you passage of Scripture. I'm done preaching. I'm just going to read you this passage of Scripture. And I want you to hear this in the, in the context of what we've already said and understand that your salvation from beginning to end, even the fact that you persevere in your faith, is 100% bound up in who God is and what God has done. Romans chapter 8, verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn 
Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword or danger, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then listen to what Paul says here. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And implied in all of that is the truth that not even you can separate yourself from the love of Christ. If you've truly been saved, and we'll deal with that next week, but if you've truly been saved, you're always saved.